Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, the Word of God says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Together, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for these verses. We're happy to read them. So grateful to have a copy of the Word of God. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes, that you'd give us uh, an understanding heart, wise and understanding heart, for the things of the Scriptures that we would see a little bit more deeply into our glorious salvation. Lord, we pray if there's one here today that's not sure they're going to heaven, that today would be the day that they would nail that down and put their faith in you once and for all, receiving forgiveness of sins. Lord, for those who are saved, we pray that uh, we would be just all that much more gripped by the, the power of the gospel and grateful uh, for its work in us. We pray you'd honor yourself through the message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been doing a off and on a little Bible study <clears throat> about salvation. And I mentioned last week that we did several of these, the, the beauty of salvation. We talked about many of the doctrines that uh, show us not just the, the power of salvation, but the beauty of it. But then I mentioned last week that the Lord showed me three more that I didn't talk about the first time. And so today is uh, the second one of those that I want to go over with you. <clears throat> and today we're going to talk about uh, the doctrine of imputation. Uh, the doctrine of imputation or the beauty of imputation. Now, uh, the word impute is a word that you and I don't use very often. I doubt that you used it this week. I doubt you imputed anything to anyone in those words. You did, you just may not have used those words. Uh, but the, the Bible doctrine of imputation, if you don't know about it, you should. The truth is that you and I can't be saved without the doctrine of imputation. It's vital to our eternal salvation, and it illustrates the surety of Christ's redemption. And so today in the message, I pray that we'll learn the power and the beauty of this crucial Bible doctrine. Uh, imputation is an old English word that means to attribute or to ascribe. So I'm going to ascribe something to you that you do not already possess. It means to credit something not possessed to a person's account. So I'm going to put something on your account that you don't currently own. For example, if I had $500 and you didn't have $500 and we went to the bank, I could impute $500 to your account. I am giving you something that you do not possess. Amen? I have it and you have it. On the other hand, and I like this illustration better, if you had $500 and you put it on my bank account, then you would impute $500 to me. Amen? Isn't that always better when you're on that end of it? Uh, Unless you're really spiritual, then the Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. Amen? But this is imputation. It's ascribing or giving someone or putting something on someone's account that they don't currently possess and that they have not earned. Impute is a legal term. And so it's important you understand this. So many of the other doctrines we've discussed when it comes to our salvation you know, you think about redemption. There's an element of love in redemption. The fact that you would buy back something, the, the idea of ransoming. You know, God forbid if, if someone 
uh, took a family member and they held them for ransom. We would pay any amount of money. Motivated by love, we would pay any amount of money. We would do anything possible to get them back. But the, the, the doctrine of imputation is a clinical term. It's a legal term. If you go into a courtroom, you usually don't find a lot of love and good feelings in a courtroom, amen? It's all about the facts. And imputation is a, a, an accounting or a legal term that means to ascribe to one person the qualities of another. So let me give you an example. In some cultures, when a parent dies owing a financial debt, the debt is imputed to the account of the children. The children have to pay the debt. Now, thankfully, right now, that's not the law in America, unless you co-sign for something. But in some cultures and in some countries and even in the past, uh, if, if a parent died owing a debt, that debt would be transferred or imputed to their living relatives. I didn't spend the money. It's not my debt, but yet I owe it. Why? There was a transaction made where something was placed onto my account. So a imputation can be negative. It can be the imputation of a debt. It can be the imputation of uh, an attack against your character. You're a thief. You're not a thief, but someone is trying to place that on your account, right? So imputation can be negative or imputation can be positive. When we study the Bible, uh, we see the, the doctrine of imputation comes to play in salvation. And so through the finished work of Christ, his perfect righteousness is placed on the account of sinners. So this is imputed righteousness. I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. But through the process of salvation, Christ's righteousness is placed on my account. And so when God looks at me, he doesn't see the sins of Paul Chapman. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's the positive side of imputation. And I want to dig into this a little bit further. Imputation has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. Remember, it's a legal term. It's an accounting term. The number five is not good or bad. The number 10 is not good or bad. If you're changing numbers in a ledger, it's just what the numbers represent that give it the connotation. And so when God's looking, and we'll go over this further, he sees a ledger of everything that you've ever done that you own. And on that, unfortunately, there's an awful lot of bad right now because we're all sinners. But imputation has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. It's kind of like a pardon. You can be pardoned even though you were guilty. The penalty of sin can be removed, and it has, it has nothing to do with whether or not you were guilty. It just has to do with, are you going to pay for your crimes? And so imputation is not, uh, has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. An innocent man can be reckoned as guilty, and a guilty man can be assigned righteousness. There are people right now in prisons in America that are there, and they're innocent. It's just a fact. But they were imputed guilt. So they're serving the sentence of a guilty person. There are people right now walking the streets that are guilty. They should be in jail. But they were imputed righteousness. So it has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. It has to do with the accounting. What does the ledger say? What does the verdict say? That is the doctrine of imputation. Now, when you study the King James Bible, the word impute is found three times, but the doctrine of imputation is found all throughout the scriptures. And so I want to just take you this morning on a little bit of journey through the scriptures, and I want to show you the three main concepts of imputation in the scripture uh, that have to do with our salvation. And I think this will be a blessing to all of us. And again, if you're here and you're not saved, I pray today would be the day when you surrender to Christ and you ask Him to save you and get saved. And if you are saved, I pray today you'd walk out of here and think a little bit more, man, I'm saved. You know, my salvation has nothing to do with whether I earned it or not. It has to do with whether God has declared me righteous. And that's a beautiful truth. And so let me say number one, imputed sin. Remember, imputation can be good or bad. Imputed 
sin. Look at Romans chapter 4, and we'll come back later to our text, but I want you to look at it. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So we've learned the, the word impute means to place on an account or to take an accounting of. And so blessed is the man who the Lord does not uh, keep a record of his sin or put sin on his record. Amen. But the opposite of that's also true. That means that for many people, sin is imputed. Sin is on their record. Sin can be imputed. The most striking example of imputed sin is found in the beginning of the Bible when we see Adam and Eve sinned. God made Adam and Eve perfect. He put them in a perfect garden. He gave them one rule. You can do anything you want. You can uh, eat anything you want, but there's one tree that you can't eat the, in, in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, people often say, Preacher, why did God place that tree in there? If, if God didn't put the tree in there, the, the one thing they could do to sin, then mankind would have never sinned, and that's true. But you've got to understand the heart of God, that God always wants you to choose Him. And so in order for you to choose God, that means you have to have the opportunity to not choose Him. Right? So there was one thing. They could do anything, anything their heart desired, anything they could come up with. There was one rule. This is why I often remind people, the problem is not with the rules. Rules don't breed rebellion. Rules reveal rebellion. Just because you make a rule doesn't mean, oh, now, now I'm going to break it. That's the sinful heart of man anyway. Rules just reveal the rebellion that's already in our hearts. You ever have someone tell you don't do that, and all of a sudden you want to do it? It's like, well, now I want to do it. I didn't even care about it before, but now I want to do it. That's just the, the rule just reveals the, the rebellious and sinful heart of man. Don't tell me what to do. And so here, these were two perfect people in a perfect garden on a perfect earth with one rule. And the serpent beguiled, tricked Adam and Eve. The Bible says Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived in the transgression. Eve was deceived, Adam chose to sin. And because he chose to sin, sin was imputed onto the human race. Let me show you. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. When Adam chose to sin, his sin passed upon all men. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So this is the imputation of sin. Now, why did Adam's sin affect the whole human race? Well, first of all, he was the representative of mankind. He's the first Adam. He was representative of you and I, and I hate to break this to you, but if you had been in the garden, you probably would have made the same choice. I wouldn't do that, really? We sin every day with nobody making us, and that's not Satan himself trying to trick us. And, and so, Adam, as the representative of mankind, we were all in Adam in a spiritual sense, making the same choice. Then in another sense, Adam's corrupt DNA was passed on to all men. So we're all born sinful flesh. We all have this sinful flesh. Did you know I didn't have to teach my kids to lie? That comes built in. Amen. I didn't have to teach them to disobey. I didn't have to teach them to throw a fit. I mean, they'll be six months old in the mother's arms and they'll already be arching their back because they want something. Ah, they can't even talk yet. You know, you got kids that can't even talk, and they're letting you know what they think, and they've got their opinions, and they're going to have it their way. Most kids' first word, uh, well, let's say first word is mommy, second word is daddy, third word is mine. Mine. Mommy, daddy, mine. You know, that, that comes built in. And, and so uh, this sin nature is passed upon all men. So we are sinners by birth. Yes, we're born corrupt, but we're sinners by choice. So we're twofold under the penalty of sin. And when Adam sinned, his sin and his guilt were imputed to all mankind. Now, we know that every sin 
requires judgment. So look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. So we're on this idea of imputed sin. Sin can be placed onto your account. Imputed sin, look at verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So we know that every sin requires judgment from a holy God. It's not that God wants to judge us. He must judge us. His righteousness cries out for judgment, but his love made a way for you to escape judgment. Amen. And so this is the perfect God that we serve. People say, well, I think God's just going to work it all out. We'll all make it to heaven somehow. Then you don't know the Bible and you don't know God. Sin must be judged. But God is gracious and long-suffering and merciful and loving. He made a way for anybody who wants to to come to Him through Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, sin must be judged. So wait a minute, I have sin on my account that began with Adam, passed on to me. And then I've got a bunch of sins on my account that I've put there myself. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, the Scriptures very clear, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, the Bible says in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I've got imputed sin on my ledger. I have all the sins that I've ever done. And remember, God keeps perfect records. Everything I've ever done that I shouldn't have done, everything I ever didn't do that I should have done, every thought I've ever thunk, every word I've ever said, everywhere I've ever gone, every bad motive that I've ever had, is all recorded in the heavenly ledger of my soul. The Bible says sin must be paid for. Sin must be paid for. But wait a minute, the Bible also makes a distinction that each man should pay for his own sin, not for the sins of someone else. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 18. And this is important, especially in the world we live in. Uh, Our our country has lost its biblical anchor, and so the the, the moralities are blowing in the wind. But we must understand that God says that each person will pay for their own sin, but we shouldn't judge other people for the sins of someone else. Ezekiel chapter 18. And we could look at a lot of verses in this chapter, but let's just look at verse verse 20. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. All right, make no mistake, friend. You're not going to outrun God's judgment. You're not going to outrun the wrath of God. It's coming, and you'll either pay for it yourself or you'll accept Christ's payment for it. But sin will be paid for in the final accounting. But let's read the rest of the verse. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But wait a minute. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So wait a minute. This is, this is vital. The Bible says, yes, sin must be punished, but don't punish someone else for the sins of another. So the Bible uses a a biblical illustration, a, a family illustration. So if a father does wrong, we don't treat the son like he's a sinner. And if the son does wrong, we don't treat the dad like he's the son. And see, humans are really bad about this. We're bad about grouping people together, aren't we? We'll just throw everybody in a group. Someone from that family did you wrong? I hate that whole family. Well, you shouldn't hate anybody. The only thing you should hate is sin and the devil. You shouldn't hate any person. The Bible says even pray for your enemies. Love them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. And so, but someone does wrong, man, we'll throw away the whole family. Someone in a church does something stupid, now that whole church is bad. Someone in a company does something wrong, ah, that company's trash. We tend to punish a group of people for the sins of the individual. And God says that's not the way this works. 
the individual will be punished for their individual sins. All throughout the Bible, you'll find a wicked father and a righteous son. And God will bless the son, regardless of the sins of his father. Or you'll find a righteous father and a wicked son. And God will punish the sin of the son, even though he had a righteous father. Because God is into personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. You are responsible to God for you. I'm responsible to God for me. Now, why is that important? Because wicked people and even governments have used the idea of imputed guilt as a tactic for control and subjugation. Tyrants will brand an entire group of people with a sin or some type of guilt in order to do away with them or punish them. You can find that all throughout human history. The Nazis blamed an entire group of people, the Jews, for all their problems and went about exterminating them. And then if you helped a Jew, you were imputed with their guilt. Communists and socialists have been responsible for the deaths of over 100 million people in the last 120 years around the world. And much of that was because determining an entire class of people or a group that held a specific idea were now guilty and deserved punishment. And let me just give our church warning and this generation warning. We see the same dangerous idea used today to cause unrest in America. Every person should be seen as righteous or unrighteous based on their personal deeds. Not on their zip code, not on how much money they make, not on the color of their skin. Remember years ago, the, the 1%, they were against the 1%. Remember they had the, the tent, tents down in New York City. And what, what was that movement called again? I forget off the top of my head. Occupy Wall Street. And uh, people would say, oh, I mean, even around here, man, these rich people, we got to get rid of these rich people. And rich people is anyone who's richer than you, right? If, if I've got 10 bucks and you got five, I'm the enemy. And I remember someone talking to me saying, man, we got to get rid of these rich people, rich people. And I just looked at him and said, you know, I've never worked for a poor person. Everybody I've ever worked for had more money than me. And I'm thankful that they gave me a job. I don't want to take what they have. I'm thankful they gave me a job. Class warfare is devilish. You, you find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's destructive in a church when you start having cliques and factions fighting against each other. It's destructive in a nation when you have cliques and factions fighting against each other. And we live in this day of intersectionalism where people are ascribing you, it could be based on your age, it could be based on your finances, it could be based on your color, it could be based on your sexuality, it could be based on your opportunities, and they find all the ways that they can either claim that you're privileged or aggrieved, and then they pit groups against each other. And when that happens, the only people that profit are the people doing the pitting against each other. We have to be wise to this thing, friend. The Bible says, be not deceived. As, as our country is burning, there are people gathering unto themselves more power and, and securing their wealth. Why is this? A lot of it goes back to this idea of imputation. Watch this. What's white privilege? You're guilty because you're white. Racism used to be, you're bad because you're this color. I know what racism looks like, friend. I'm opposed to it. I'm opposed to it. I grew up in a community where there were racist people. And I'll tell you what, my mama taught me not to be racist. If I ever, if I ever even came close to saying anything, I had a, a bar of soap in my mouth. 
I've tasted all kinds of brands of soap. Let me tell you, I've tasted them all. And the grossest ones were the ones that were best for your skin. You know, you get a, you get a good bite of zest or Irish spring. I can live with that. You know, it's kind of cleansing, a little bit like mouthwash. But you're talking like Dove, oil of Olay. I mean, that stuff may help you look better, but it, it's gross going down, I tell you. I remember one time I, I said something I shouldn't say. It was nothing racial. I, I never had a racist bone in my body, but I said something I shouldn't say. And usually when I was younger, my mom would just take like a bar of soap and run it around my mouth and wipe it on my teeth, you know, and I'd have it sitting all on my teeth and uh, then have to go rinse it out. Uh, but one time she took my toothbrush on the bar of soap and just got my toothbrush all soapy and said, brush your teeth with it. You say, that's child abuse. No, I'm thankful I had a mom that said, you're not going to run around like a heathen. We weren't even a Christian family at the time. There wasn't any biblical discipline. I mean, it was Old Testament biblical, but there, <laughs> there wasn't any uh, New Testament biblical discipline. It was, it was, I brought you into this world and I can take you out type discipline. But you know, I'm thankful for someone that set boundaries. I think you ought to be wise and careful about how you go about it. And, but listen, folks, we, we're letting a generation of people grow up like weeds with no direction, with, with no moral compass. And we wonder that the world is in the mess it's in. I hate to say it, but colleges have become more like indoctrination centers than colleges. And even all that filtering down into our local school systems. But this idea that a certain group of people is bad because they belong to a group of people. Folks, that's always been racism. And it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or American Indian or whatever. You're not good or bad based on the color of your skin or what part of, of the country you grew up in. You're good or bad based on the content of your character. And in today we see Anti-racism, what's called anti-racism, is just racism. And until we just get some common sense, we've got to be careful. You know, when I went to Chicago, I found out racism goes both ways. Growing up, I always thought that only white people could be racist. I went to Chicago and found out real quick, you end up in the wrong part of town, you're in trouble. I remember one time I ended up in one part of town late at night and I needed some directions. I pulled over to a place. I got lost. And I walk up to this. And I'm, I'm from the country, folks. I'm talking about there's more cows than people. I mean, I'm just country. It's one of my first times in Chicago. And I got lost, missed my exit. I pull into this town. It's probably about 11 o'clock at night. Coming back from Chicago. And I go up to this gas station. I went over to open the door and the door was locked. I was like, whoa, what's the door locked? Then somebody's like motioning me over to this window and I go over this window and there's like three inches of bulletproof something and a little hole in it you talk through. And I said, open the door. He said, no. I said, open the door. No. He said, come here. I said, I said, I said, I need directions. And he looked at me. He said, do you know where you're at? I said, no, I need directions. He said, go down there and go this way and get out of here quick. I thought, man. What I'm saying is, and, and don't miss this, because someone is going to take what I said and turn it into something I don't mean, because we live in a climate where what you say doesn't matter. What people tell you you meant is what matters. That is imputation. They will tell you what your words mean, even though they didn't mean that. They are ascribing to you guilt when there's none to be had. I am against every form of racism. I am against every form of, of hypocrisy. I am against every form of prejudice. God made us all the same on the inside. We all have a soul. And the Bible says in heaven there will be every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. When God looks at me, he doesn't see a white Paul Chapman and he doesn't see a brown this and a and, and a, a black this, and a, he sees you. 
And so we, we must be careful about this thing. Now, why do I bring all that up? Uh, because we're living in a world where the doctrine of imputation is being used once again to subjugate and control. And we can't allow it to happen. Some even believe America itself is terrible and irredeemable because previous generations of America made some bad decisions. You say, preacher, where are you at with America? Let me just tell you, I love America. I'm American inside and out, and I'm thankful to be born here. If you ever talk to somebody that comes from a different country, you might be thankful to be born here too. If you've ever traveled and been anywhere else, People are sneaking into our country, not because it's so terrible, but because they're trying to leave terrible places. At the same time, does that mean that America has no problems? Don't be ridiculous. Does that mean America doesn't have foolish people? Of course it does. Foolish politicians. And I'll tell you this, as much as I love America, America is begging for God to judge her begging, crying out with its sin, with its rejection of God. They took God out of the schools. They've taken his Ten Commandments off government buildings. They will take down a cross. If you drive past a cross on someone's private property, they will take down a cross because they don't have enough guts to say, our government officials don't have enough guts to say, if you don't like that farmer's old cross, don't look at it when you're driving down the road. As much as I love our country, she is crying out for judgment because of her wickedness. And I'll tell you, as much as I hate to say it, God is already judging America. You look around, everything's going on, and you can't see the judgment of God? The financial situations, up and down and in and out. Well, when you make money, you're God above God. He takes offense at that. The, the trouble in our school systems, they've made education a God instead of God. You see the, the, the droughts and the fires and the hurricanes and pray for the people in these hurricanes. You see the weather patterns getting weirder. That's not global warming. That is the judgment of God. But I still love this country. And just because you may live next to a fool doesn't mean your whole neighborhood's bad. Now, if you live in a neighborhood of fools where everybody's a fool, move, right? Amen. But if you got one town weirdo, it doesn't mean the whole town needs burned down. And so we have to have some common sense. It's a dangerous game to start imputing the sin and guilt of one person to others. And I ask you this question, who made you judge and jury? There's one God, and he alone is the judge. We will all give an account to him. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 12, 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Did you notice that? To God, the judge of all. All right, so imputation. We see number one, imputed sin. Let's look at number two, imputed righteousness. Now we know, look back at Romans, Romans chapter 5. We know that Christ died for sinners. When we say for sinners, the Bible makes a distinction. He didn't just die for them. He died literally in their place. And that's why we call it the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It should have been me on the cross. It should have been you on the cross. But Jesus died in your place. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean, for us? It means literally, in our place. Uh, Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. And here we talk about the substitutionary a, a, a biblical word for this, a theological term, is vicarious. If you hear the term vicarious, it simply means substitutionary or, or in the place of. And so the vicarious death of Christ, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So do you see what happens on the cross? You were in Christ. And so when Jesus died, you died with him. When he rose from the dead, you rose with him. He's our substitute. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, that's a sinful nature, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So do you see this? We were in Christ. Christ died in our place. We were in Christ. When he died on the cross paying for our sins, there's the old man died with him. When he rose again from the dead, we live in the power of that same resurrection. And through faith, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is recorded to your account. Think about this. If you're saved in the, the heavenly records of God, you died with Christ and you rose again with him. That's pretty cool. That's why death has no more power over you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. This is exciting to me. The doctrine of imputation. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now we know as you're turning, when Christ died on the cross, all of the sins of all the world were placed upon him. And when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, his substitutionary death is placed on your account in heaven. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. So he carried our sins in his body. Why? That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And so... Our sins were literally placed upon him, and he paid for our sins as our substitute. This is what makes salvation so powerful. Folks, your sins, if you're a believer, your sins are paid for. The moment you put your faith in Christ, your sins are paid for. I mean, paid in full. That's good news. We won't take time, but Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 11 show the, in the Old Testament the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Christ. The Bible says He hath borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. See, all this on, all of the bad that you and I have done or ever will do was placed upon Jesus Christ. And he paid for all of it. Imputed sacrifice. Now let's finish up. We see imputed sin. Number two, imputed sacrifice. And then number three, imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is righteousness applied to your account without works. Look back at Romans chapter 4. And we come back full circle. Romans chapter 4. Imputed righteousness is righteousness applied to your account without works. It is a legal reference to sin being replaced with righteousness in the heavenly records of God. All right, look at at Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's just read through here. I'll make a few comments. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh is found? For if Abraham were justified by works... Where he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God that was counted unto him for righteousness. Now look at me. If anybody could go to heaven by being good enough, it was Abraham. God chose him to be the, the founder and the father of his new people. He believed God in ways that, that you and I will never have to. If anybody could have earned their way to heaven, it would have been Abraham. That's why God uses him as an illustration that even Abraham did not go to heaven because of his good works. 
But Abraham believed God, and then notice the phrasing, that it was counted unto him for righteousness. That word counted is important. Look at verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned. That word reckoned is important of grace, but of debt. See, the Bible says if you're trying to work your way to heaven, you have fallen from the grace of God. That's what that phrase means later in the New Testament. To fall from the grace of God is not to lose your salvation. It's you saying, I, I want to work my own way to heaven. And the Bible says God has made his grace available. You can get to heaven through Jesus Christ. But when you reject God's way of salvation, you reject the grace of God. The Bible says you're falling from grace because you're trying to do it your own way. And the Bible says here it can't be grace if you're working. It becomes a debt because we already have a sin debt. And no matter how much you were to work, no matter how many good intentions you have, no amount of good works can do away with the sins already on our record. All right? So let's look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted, there's that word again, counted for righteousness. So faith becomes righteousness on the ledger. Verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. There's our word impute. Now here's an important truth for you. The word impute in verse 6, the word counted in verse 5, the word reckoned in verse 4, and the word counted in verse 3 are all the same Greek word. It's all the word imputed. And notice the word counted and reckoneth. Those are appropriate words. The Bible doesn't have a mistake here. Those are appropriate words. They just carry the same idea, showing different variations of how the word can be applied. Counting and reckoning are accounting terms. That's why we go back to the idea of a ledger. So you've all seen a checkbook? Maybe you haven't seen it in a while. All right. If, if you have a checking account, you should have a checkbook, right? And you should have a ledger where every month you're, you're making the adjustments uh, and reconciling the Bible, not the Bible calls it, people call it, reconciling your checkbook. That's making sure that you haven't missed anything and everything is accounted for. That the Bible term reckoning is kind of like reconciling. It's to take an account of or to, uh, to put on an account. And so imagine that we have two ledgers. On one side is your ledger. It contains everything, good or bad, you've ever done. And they're all added to your account. Now, here's what I used to think before I got saved. I used to think that God's keeping track of all the bad I do. God's keeping track of all the good I do. And if I do enough good, I can cancel out all the bad, and then I'll go to heaven. But if I don't do enough good, then I'll have to go to hell. That's what I thought. You know, I had this ledger in my mind, and... I'm making credits and debits. I did something bad, so I'm going to do extra good this week. I did that bad last week, so this weekend I'm going to really do good. I did that, so I'm going to give a little money to charity this week, you know, try to, try to buy a little. You know, it's, it's a terrible game we play. I was mean to you yesterday, so I'm going to be really nice to you today. You know, we tend to live like this, trying to balance the ledger. But the Bible says in Isaiah that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So even the things that you and I might think God is putting good on the ledger, it all just comes out bad. So I have Adam's imputed sin on my record. And then from the very moment I was accountable to sin, everything I've ever done wrong in the sight of God is on there. And I recommend there's, I, I mean, I think there's probably like even two or three pages of bad stuff. Two or three whole pages. Brother Lee's got like 50,000 pages. But no, I, I guarantee you there's more than two or three pages. Amen? Think about that. Everything you've ever done is on your eternal ledger. There's no way to pay it off. There's no way to erase it. It's there. But over here, there's a ledger in heaven for Jesus Christ. And the Bible says there's not one sin on it. He's perfect. There's not one sin on it. Totally righteous. God looks at my ledger 
and all he sees is sin crying out for judgment. He looks at Jesus Christ's ledger and all he sees is perfection, acceptance, love. The doctrine of imputation is when God offers that if you'll trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will take the ledger of Jesus Christ and take all of his righteousness and put that on your account. And all your sins are gone. So when God looks at your account, he doesn't see everything you've ever done bad. He sees Jesus. And that's beautiful. Let me show you a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And a, a, it's a wonderful verse. I've got verses 20 and 21. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us that we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. So this is a soul winner. This is the the ministry of reconciliation, God says, I want you to go out in the world and tell people about me and how they can be made right with me. They can be reconciled to me. But look at verse 21. What's this message? For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. See, Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And this is the calculation of salvation. God takes away all of our sin, washed away with the blood of Christ, and he takes all the righteousness of Christ and places it on your account. Now here's the beauty of that. Remember what we said in the beginning. Imputation has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. Because Satan will come to you and say, you dirty rat, you know you did wrong, you know you don't deserve to go to heaven. You're like, yeah, I know. But the beautiful truth of imputation is it's not about what I deserve. It's about what God put on my account. And that's why the, the believer, the true Christian, can honestly praise God and say, you're right, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I ought to be in hell right now. I ought to go to hell for eternity. But I'm not going to heaven because I'm innocent. I'm going to heaven because I'm saved. And that doctrine of imputation, when God looks at your account, what does he see? I mean, right now. God looks at your account right now. What does he see? Does he see everything you've ever done wrong? I mean, maybe I don't know it. Maybe nobody else knows it. Maybe your spouse doesn't know about it. Maybe your parents don't know about it. Maybe there's only a handful of people in the world that know the depths of your past depravity. It's on there. Maybe you treat people one way, but in your heart you're filled with envy and bitterness and jealousy and rage and wrath. And God knows about it. There's nothing hidden from Him. And if you're not saved, all of that is on your account, waiting for judgment. The wrath of God abiding on it. And at the moment of death, that wrath begins. But wait a minute. All it takes today is for you to look to the cross and say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins in my place. I believe that if I ask you and trust you like you told me to, that you'd save me. And right now I'm putting my faith as best as I know how. I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ to go to heaven. The Bible says at the moment you do that, a miracle happens. And all the things we've talked about conception reconciliation redemption all those things happen but also imputation god takes away your sin puts the righteousness of christ that's why one of these days you'll go to heaven and god's going to open the book to ken hoffman and he's going to see jesus What's God going to see when he opens the book to you? Will he see Jesus? He can today if you trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the word of God. We pray that you would convict. Lord, make it plain. I, I fear that I haven't 
done the doctrine justice. I, I know I never do, but I just trust and pray that you'd translate the truth into the hearts of the hearers, make it plain and obvious. And Lord, that we could see that imputation is a wonderful doctrine. It's vital to our salvation. It's the ascribing of Christ's righteousness to our account. A legal action where we are pronounced innocent because of the righteousness of Christ. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's not sure they're saved, today would be the day. I pray that they'd surrender to you, submit to you. Lord, just humble themselves and come to you with a repentant heart. And Lord, we do pray for those who are saved. Lord, help us never get, never to get salvation, let salvation get old, to let us become stale. The miracles of salvation abound. The beauty is glorious. Help us to still, all these years later, be overcome, constrained, gripped by the grace of God that saved our souls. We'll take a moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. At the end of our services, we give you an opportunity to reflect upon the message, to see what God would have you do. If you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. You can have a neighbor help you as a church member or come down front. We'll take a Bible and show you. If you are saved, but when's the last time you just honestly and really, I mean, your eyes got moist because God saved you. You were just overcome with the beauty, the idea that you who are guilty could be innocent in the eyes of God because of the righteousness of Christ. Let us praise God.